What's really over the rainbow? Are drag queens capable of mind control? How many times has Beyonce been cloned? Can I get an amen? For too long, the heteronormative straight stream media has been hiding the truth. The sheer queer truth. But now she's coming out, and she wants the world to know. It's time to unveil the shocking answers to all of your burning questions. The truth is here, the truth is queer, so get used to it. We are Mr. Sister. And this is Queer Anon. Hello, my Queerios, and welcome to another episode of Queer Anon with Mr. Sister. My name is Jordan Barbour, and we are joined by our co-host, one Randolph Harrison. Say hi to the kids, Randy. Hello, children. Today, we've got a really good episode for you. We are actually foregoing the bottom five to give you an extended check-in. And it's been a while since Randy and I caught up, so we figured we would do it on air rather than, you know, privately like normal people do. Because we haven't spoken since the last episode. We haven't. We haven't. It's been a while. It's been a minute. And, you know, since I don't do these weekly anymore, I go a long time without talking to my friends because the only way I talk to people is through this podcast, apparently. So yeah, we're going to do a nice long check-in where we're going to figure out what the fuck is going on in our lives. After that, we are going to play a new stupid quiz. But uh, Nothing's going to be worse than that musical theater one. Girl, that was pretty bad. But uh, this is a fun one. It's okay. related to our uh, pop culture moment this week, which is the newish Netflix series called Q-Force, an animated series that it's all about a queer spy agency called Q-Force that works under the umbrella of a larger intelligence agency called AIA. That'll take us into, as always, our conspiracies. But as we mentioned at the beginning, it's time for a nice big old check-in. So Randolph Harrison, why don't you go first? I should go first because I have very little to say, I'm sure, compared to what you have to say. Uh, <laughs> I have been good. I've been the same. I've been continuing doing schoolwork. I've been in Seattle. Uh, I've been, you know, socializing on the weekends, hanging out with people a little bit more, getting out a little bit more than we have during, um, before the pandemic. I mean, Uh during the pandemic. So Uh it's like things are easing up a little bit. Oh, I will say I went and tried to get a second shot. (laughs) I thought I could just show up and be like- A second shot or a booster? Well, I've I've only had the J&J, so I've only had one shot. Oh. And, of course, it's, like, the worst one. (laughs) And I feel like I'm not protected enough. And I'm about to go back to the city and, like, be in New York City for the first time since basically pre-pandemic. So I was like, I'm just going to go and act like I have never gotten uh, a vaccine and get the Moderna. So okay. I went and I didn't know, cause I really thought I'd gone to like a drugstore far away. I, I mean, I guess they could just find you from your birth date and your name in like a different drugstore computer. Cause oh. I, I was there to get the flu shot and the Moderna vaccine. And, you know, I waited and then suddenly you hear like, Harrison, Harrison. And this lady's like, you can't get this. You had the J&J. What? And I was like, oh, and I just played stupid. I was like, oh, oh, right. I forgot I got <laughs> I forgot I got the vaccine. <laughs> what did she say? Was she like, she was bitch, like, you're crazy? I mean, she knew what I was trying to do. So she was like, she was like, she was like, you're just going to have to wait for J&J to get approval for the booster. And I was like, well, can I still get the flu shot? And she said, yeah. So that happened. 
wait, something else happened. Oh, I saw my first play since the pandemic. Oh. I saw our mutual friend Tommy McDowell in uh, <gasps> Jesus Christ Superstar. Oh, where's that? Um, it's on tour. And it was playing at the Paramount here, which is like a big old touring house, like a 3,000 seat, you know, turn of the cent, you know, those beautiful old mm-hmm. ornate theaters that mm-hmm. most American cities have at least one of. And it was really moving. I mean, I walking into a theater and it was like, I mean, everybody had to have proof of vaccination to get in and everybody had to wear a mask. But um, it was like fully sold. Like it wasn't like, I mean, it was a theater and like walking into a lobby again and having that hustle and bustle of like people running the bathroom or buying drinks or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, and the chandeliers and the car old carpets. Like yeah. I totally teared up walking yeah. into the theater and yeah. being there. And I forgot, you know, I'm a like a solitary kind of isolated person. I'm an introvert, but I do like being in crowds like uh-huh. the um, you love concerts. I love concerts. I love the anime. I, you feel like more anonymous or like unseen when you're in a huge group and I you can it. just sort of tuck in and like watch people do something great. So I forgot how much I missed it and how I'm excited to get back into it, which yeah. is one of the reasons I tried to scam a second vaccine. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I think it is? I think it's because like our worlds have gotten so small and so big at the same time over the past mm-hmm. like year and a half, which is to say that like we've stopped seeing people, right? Like we've all had to go into our little shells. We've all had to go into our little bubbles, but because we have the internet, you can reach anyone you want to basically at any time. You know, the <laughs> fact, the fact that I'm what 15, no, I'm 18 hours ahead of you right now. And which is just stupid. That just, that doesn't, that's not a real thing. But like, I'm almost a full day ahead of you right now. And we're having a conversation as if I'm next to you. You know what I mean? Right. Like th- the technology that we have is phenomenal and incredible. But the thing that's happened to me over the last year, especially while I'm watching like the news and stuff is just this feeling of like, are we all getting the same information? Do you know what I mean? Oh, like, cool. are, And I know that we're not. I know that things have been fractured for a long time. I know that Facebook has basically brought about the end of civilization. And that's, you know, I get it. That social media has really, as much as it's brought it together, it's really, really driven us apart. And I feel like for the last year, because like, you know, I watch the news I watch is Democracy Now!, I read the New York Times, I, you know, my little liberal hub of news sources that like, I don't know that I would like say that I vet them, but I consider them trusted news sources. They're not just fake news that I'm getting on like a a website somewhere. Uh, And if it is fake news that I'm getting from a website somewhere, I'm at least like cross checking that with other sources. Mm -hmm. I'm not letting all of my news come from a Fox news or a drudge report or whatever the fucking thing is. And look, I've always known that there are people who just like don't, understand my worldview and I don't understand theirs, but I feel like the absurdity of what the last year and a half has been and watching, especially the whole like anti-vax, anti-mask school protest, Mm. all this shit and watching, I I have never felt so separated from the rest of the world. I mean, that's kind of how I felt when Trump got elected. I mean, we've talked about how that was obviously a different experience for like a liberal white guy than for a person of color. (laughs) But, um, but for me, you know, it was like, oh, wow, there's a completely different um, 
there's all this America that's existing right in front of me that I have had the privilege of being oblivious to and therefore have been able to imagine that like, they're pretty much like me, you know, which is like absolute bullshit. And I think ever, yeah, ever since that happened. And yeah, it does feel like it's getting farther and farther apart, like so far apart that it's completely unrecognizable and there's no bridge to cross. Like there's no way to connect. And to build off of that though, like, I guess what I'm saying is when Trump got elected, I was in a car with people and we could commiserate. And then we went to a bar, we went to a party and commiserated with other people because everyone thought it was going to be like a Hillary celebration. So we went right. to, and I was in, I was in Seattle at that time. So we were actually, you know, whereas the rest of the, I won't say the rest of the country, the East Coast, where I'm from, was kind of in bed when Trump, or at least it was late. It wasn't that late. Yeah, I went for to us. bed before the results. Right. It wasn't that late for us on the West Coast. So we we got the results while we were like planning. I went to this party that was supposed to be a Hillary party, and it was so sad and so depressing. But what was lovely about it in retrospect was that we could all commiserate together. We could be together. I was yeah. with a group of people who were like, Oh, this is insane. And so I wasn't just by myself thinking this is insane. But because of what the last year and a half has been. I spent so much time by myself. And like when I am with someone, it's usually just my partner, Jose, or my sister, Aisha, or like any number of other people. But I'm rarely in like a group setting where we can like commiserate together. I'm rarely in a, a setting where we can all like I remember when Trump got elected and I I was doing Julius Caesar at the Oregon Shakespeare Festival. And like the first day of rehearsal, we all just sort of sat there and like we didn't cry, but it was this moment of like, holy shit, like we're doing this play when this fucking megalomaniac just got elected and we have something to, to, to bond over and commiserate over. And so there was this sense of like, yes, there is a huge portion of the population that like voted for this man and that we don't understand, but I didn't feel so goddamn isolated because I was like with 20 other actors and artists who were like, yeah, this is some bullshit. I would say like, what's happening over the last year and a half is like, I've basically just been with my phone or my laptop or in front of my TV by myself or with one other person wondering what the fuck is going on in the universe. I know it's your, it's still your check-in. So I apologize. Go, go on. No, I mean, in piggybacking off that, like I think as a a theater actor, the reason I love the theater so much is that it it was like a communal way to discover myself and to discover the world I lived in. Like I I Mm. always kind of thought of it as church. Uh, It was my church and that like I learned more by watching, you know, talented people tell stories about human existence and watching it with a group of people and to lack that Mm-hmm. As an audience member uh, for two years, it, it was like a significant hole in my life that I didn't didn't recognize of what it, what it is to be in an audience. I don't know. At a certain point, you sort of feel like this is the new normal as far as constantly wearing a mask for the rest of my life Jesus. and getting you know vaccine boosters every year or every six months. And but I think for someone who needs that collective like physically collective experience in my life at a certain point you have to like just let go of the fear because I walked into the theater because usually when I'm suddenly with a group or like you know you're at a restaurant and I try to still only eat outdoors but then suddenly it gets kind of crowded and you start getting paranoid and you're like I need to leave because I'm gonna get exposed to something Mm -hmm. 
And to suddenly just be like, I can't, like, I don't care. I've done what I had to do. (laughs) Cause we're just going to have to let go of the fear because I can't live with every time I'm suddenly in a crowd for the rest of my life, having that, like this existential terror that was created in me due to the COVID girl, (laughs) girl. And like now the main reason that it's still there is that I, I live with a child who hasn't been able to be vaccinated. Oh God, I didn't even think about that. Yeah. I mean, that's why we're still pretty strict. And I was, you know, it was like high risk for me to go to like a crowded theater. And I felt I almost didn't do it. Yeah. But, um, once he's vaccinated though, I'm just going to be like, I I just, there's nothing left. I I can't keep worrying (laughs) every time. No. I go anywhere because I want to be in a crowded bar with my friends and I want to be in a theater and I want to be with a big cast and I want to be like even on a fucking crowded subway, which you know how I, I, I love I, public transportation, but I get, I, it. Yeah. I get it. I get it. Without, without being like having that like anxiety. Yeah. So yeah, that happened this week. I guess those are the two things, my not being able to get the booster and my, uh, my seeing, seeing a play for the first time. Is that your check-in? That's my check check in. Chicken. Chicken. Shut up, bitch. Um, okay, so I've been I've been debating uh how much I want to say and and because uh, God. Fuck it. This is my podcast. This is exactly. this is essentially my my diary or my journal. So I'm just gonna like fucking talk. L- l- let me let me I think it's important to, in order to understand my state of mind this week for me to like fully contextualize what's been going on for me for the past three months. So uh, let me just try and do that really quickly. Um, so a- as you know, I left America to come to Australia to do come from away and basically come from away has been on tour for the last two years. I want to say in Australia. So coming in right now, there, it, there were, Nine of us, nine of us that were joining the show. Five of us were new playing cast members. Four of us were standby cast members. Playing cast means the cast that does the show every night, uh, eight times a week. Standby cast is essentially, we're there in case something happens. I'm learning four different tracks in the show. If something happens to someone or uh, you, you know how the whole thing works. I'm basically explaining this for anyone who doesn't understand the sort of theater system. But nine of us were brought in to rehearse the show. So I got here. I did my two weeks of quarantine. In those two weeks of quarantine, I thought I was going to be getting out into a city that was opening up and blossoming. And because Australia essentially was the the <laughs> sort of uh, uh, Xanadu, Australia was like the the place that was doing so well. And I got to leave America and come here. And I was so ready. And I've said this on the podcast before, but literally 30 hours after I got out of the two-week government-mandated quarantine where I was in a hotel that did not have a window that opened, uh, 30 hours after that, the city went on lockdown. So the show stopped performing. But we were able to work under some provision that lets construction workers go back to work because like, you can't, you can't do construction work from home. You literally have to be there. So we were able to make a case for... The theater, because obviously they'll only give us a pass if they've got it approved in some other form, like construction. Right. So because <laughs> arts work is not understood at all whatsoever as having value. So we were still able to rehearse for three weeks. And in those three weeks, the nine of us 
became a company. We built the show together and I played a role. Everyone else had like a role that we were building. After three weeks of that, where we were doing full run throughs, like we were, we were doing runs with costumes and like, it felt like our show. After that happened for three weeks, then the show got shut down for three, for then everything got shut down for three months and lockdown was in effect basically until this past Monday. We're recording this on Wednesday, October the 13th. So, uh, everything opened up in Sydney on October 11th, which is great, which is fucking fantastic. Last week before everything opened up, we were able to come back to rehearsal under the same principle as last time with construction. But they didn't bring the returning cast yet. They still brought this small group, uh, the group that had been building the show. So we got mm-hmm. to come back after three months away and rehearse the show and build the show again. So that was on Tuesday of last week that we all came back. We were rehearsing the show. On Saturday, the returning playing cast came. Mm-hmm. And so the dynamic all of a sudden just shifted immediately it's a strange environment because i've never met half the people that are in the room and we don't do any sort of introduction we just go right into rehearsals and then it's my birthday so everyone stops to sing happy birthday to me and real talk i am not being hyperbolic about this and i don't want to offend any casts that i've worked with before real talk it was one of the most beautiful renditions of of happy birthday i've ever heard i'm not until they got to your name and nobody knew it (laughs) Happy like, birthday, dear. What's his name again? Like, <laughs> no, people people had been told my name by then. <laughs> but um yeah, so it was just like so Saturday was all of a sudden this like very intense day for me because I don't want to say I got demoted. It felt like I got demoted though, because mm-hmm. I'd been playing this part and then all of a sudden the the person whose part it is came back and I was now on to learning my next part. But like during that music rehearsal, the standbys essentially were kind of told to sing and kind of told not to sing. And that sucked. And then it was my birthday and I'm on the other side of the world. And I had been playing a part for the last X number of weeks, a part that I knew I was going to have to let go and move on to another part and let someone else play. I knew that. But I think just the, reality of it happening on Saturday, on my birthday. I'm meeting all these new people. I'm sweating buckets because I'm anxious as fuck. Two people came up to give me a hug. Two people I've never met before gave me a hug and I'm sweating. So I feel like I feel crazy. I'm being told like to sing, but then not to sing. It was just, it was a very awkward and painful day. And I want to be abundantly clear because I know people in my cast and in my show listen to this show. I don't have any animus toward the show or anyone in the show. This is just me relating the feelings I went through this past week. Having turned 30 and being so far away from people and then again, essentially feeling like this demotion came. And then, you know, the next day we were in the theater and after having basically been on stage people talking to us giving us notes communicating with us now all of a sudden we're just in the house and we're not really being talked to understandably they're building the show they're they're staging the show but like all of a sudden i've just become invisible like all of a sudden i've just become 
just a guy in the sh- in the theater. And don't get me wrong, no one is being rude to me. No one is saying anything mean to me. It's just like my status just all of a sudden just dropped like a stone. And it just feels, it feels like shit right now. It feels really <laughs> shitty. And it sucks because like the world just opened up, right? Like coinciding with this feeling of feeling shitty is like the world has opened up and lockdown has kind of ended. Now, granted, since lockdown uh, ended on Monday, or at least the restrictions loosened on Monday, we've had nothing but rain for three days. <laughs> so there's not really much of a reason to like hang out outside. But um, it's just this weird mix of feelings I'm going through right now. And I I wanted to talk about them with you because I, I feel like only another actor would understand what I'm going through. And like, uh, I don't know. I, I know I'm an emotional bitch. I do struggle with depression and anxiety. That is real. I know this feeling will only last until opening, which is next right. week. Because once we open... Then we're, then we're rehearsing and it, it's not, I get it. It's just the feeling of what this, be, this week has been, which has been like going from like feeling at least like a valued cast member that people are talking to, right. <laughs> to just sitting in the back of the theater. And, you know, people see me, people acknowledge me, people wave at me, people say hi. It's not like that. It's, it's like just, you're not a part of the process right now. No, right? I'm, I'm just not. They have to get the show. The first cast up and performing. Of course. And I think the hardest part about that is that like half the people that are up there are people that I built this show with, right? Like we built this show together. And now all these other people who built the show for two years are coming in with all of their shit. And they have a lot of baggage too, because they, they essentially didn't get a proper closing. So in, in, on June 25th, everything was shut down. And we weren't told when things would be opening. So a lot of the cast members stuck around thinking that they'd get to perform again. But some of their contracts were up in August. Some of their, it's also very difficult to travel between states. So a lot of people left Sydney to get to other states before the borders shut down. And I didn't realize how hard that was because like when the borders shut down, there were people here who were like petitioning the government, waiting for like six weeks to get to the next state over. Imagine, wow. imagine having to wait six weeks to go from New York to New Jersey. I mean, like, why would you want to? <laughs> right. But like, I was thinking right, you know, that's exactly what you were thinking. <laughs> so I want to, I want to make very clear, like the intense trauma we've all gone through, the intense trauma, like essentially what they went through in Sydney this past June is what we went through in America last March, mm-hmm. where like their world just, their shows just shut down. Everything stopped. And again, like in America, we thought we were going to come back in like April or May or June, maybe. And the difference is they actually had a plan where that could have happened in Sydney, but it just, it was Delta. So they just lost control of it and they couldn't get it back together. So all the people in the prior cast, the older cast members, some of them had to leave. Some of them flew all the way back to America. Some of them flew to other states. Some of them stayed in hotels by themselves. Like, they didn't get a proper closing of their group. So they're all coming in to this new energy with their energy. And it's it's just this weird mix and marriage of energies. And we're all sort of feeling it out. And everyone's doing their best to credit everyone involved, everyone is doing their best in what is and what has turned out to be 
just such a crazy circumstance, right? Like yeah. I, who's ever built a show like this? Who has mm-hmm. ever had to build a show like this? So I, uh, I say all of this with the full knowledge that every single person on that stage or in that house has a story that's as frustrated or as dynamic or whatever as mine is. But this is my podcast, so I'm just going to talk about me. <laughs> and yeah, it's just been a, it's been a really intense week. And the weekend was very hard because, again, it was my birthday. I was away from home. And it just sucks. It just mm-hmm. sucks. I'm happy that the world is opening up again. I'm happy that, like I've been saying in the past, like you could feel a sense of optimism in the air. And I, I trust that once this rain goes away, the city will start to feel really lively and especially once we get through opening i know that this is just a blip on the radar and that i'm just feeling it my feels right now but there's not a whole lot more to say Uh, thank you to everyone who sent me a message saying happy birthday or who's checked up on me or who's asked me how who's been sending letters of letters who's been sending messages of encouragement about you know the the city opening up and and stuff and i want to be super clear i am not complaining i am not asking for help this is not a cry for help. This is essentially my diary. This is essentially my journal. And I just share it with the world. And a couple hundred people listen to it every week. And that's very cool. Um, but it's just a, it's one of those things as an actor where you, you're like, do other people in other industries have to deal with this all the time? And, 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 and <laughs> let me, let me also throw this out there. I'm a little bit feeling myself right now because my show just won a Tony last week. Like, real talk, my play that I was in on Broadway last year won a Tony last week. So I'm a little bit, like, in my feels, partially because I'm like, well, shit, I was in a Tony-winning play and now I'm sitting in the background of this theater, like, doing nothing. And obviously, all that shit is 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 nonsense. All that shit doesn't mean anything, whatever. But like it is that tricky thing where in this we are just in an industry where like there's no there's no upward movement. No. There's I shouldn't say that. There's no, no pres- logical there's, progression. Thank you. That's what it is. There's no prescribed upward movement. Because like, you know, the 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 feeling when you are in a show or in a Broadway show is like, oh, I've made it. Right. Like, obviously, I know I didn't like, quote unquote, make it. But there is this feeling like, oh, so many doors are going to open up and I'm going to be on a TV series next and I'm going to start making this money and that money. And, you know, obviously, the pandemic fucked everything over. And I am there is no shame in being a standby. There is no shame in doing this type of work at all. It's very hard, though, when you're kind of feeling yourself and you're on this trajectory of being like, oh, I'm killing the game. And now... I'm another year older and I'm sitting in this theater and I know I'm, I'm sure I come across as like this sullen depressed bitch. Cause I'm just sitting in, I'm, I, I'm admittedly sitting toward the back of the theater because that's where it's darker because sitting in the front of the theater, all the house lights are on. So it's bright. And I'm like, I don't, I don't want the tears are going to reflect. Exactly. Exactly. I don't want to blind someone on stage when the, when the reflection of my tears hits them and they, you know, um, no. And so it's just like, I've been kind of like keeping to myself and not being my sort of like, uh, jovial 
self. You know, you know me. I could be jovial and then I could be a quiet, angry, sad bitch. It's true. Um, and, and every emotion in between. I can run the gamut. I'm a moody bitch. I own that. And there's no, there's no real thing to say right now other than just like, I, I kind of just needed to talk about what I was going through and needed to like, I need, I feel like I needed to say it out loud because when you don't, you just feel like you're going crazy, right? Like you feel like you're just, you feel like you're going through this thing and it doesn't make any sense. And like everyone else seems to be doing okay. Like all the other standbys seem very happy. All the other, everyone's very happy. And like, have they stood by before though? I, I wanted to ask this, like, this isn't an experience you've had before. You haven't done this before. I know. I've never You've done. covered, but if you were covering, you were, are, you were also playing a, a role yeah, that you when could, I, like hold on to. I did a production of All the Way in Denver where I was covering Martin Luther King, but I was playing Ralph Abernathy in the show. So I was mm-hmm. I was in the play and I was doing it. I've never done an experience like this where I'm just literally not on stage and I'm not and I'm just in the house. And then like on top of that, like I'm not being spoken to. Like no one's talking to me. Or, they have no reason to. They have no reason to. That's again, yeah, yeah exactly. That's why I'm saying I'm, it's not. It's not a criticism. It's not me being pissy or angry. It's just like nobody's. They're just not talking. I mean, what to if me. someone came up to you and gave you notes on your performance <laughs> this week? I mean, part of me might be cool with it. Remember least... two weeks ago when you did that thing? <laughs> that was not good. I mean, it's just hard. It's just hard. Do you have? Um, roles you still need to learn though or you know everything you need to like is there oh, any work way that you can be productive oh, while girl, you're sitting out there while i'm sitting out there I, i'm working i'm okay. so to, to be super clear i have three more tracks that i need to learn so i am i'm not just sitting there like fucking around on my phone i mean sometimes i am because there's so many hours in the day and i'm sitting in a i'm sitting on a mildly comfortable theater seat for Eight hours. I mean, those seats are designed to be comfortable for an hour and a half to two hours, not eight hours. So, you know, I and I'm watching uh, the the Bob track. That's the next track I need to learn. So I am learning that. I've, I've got my script with me. I'm making sure I get the blocking down. I am still working. And so that's why that's why I want to make it fully clear that when I say, like, no one is talking to me, it's not there's no maliciousness. It's not people aren't like going out of their way to ignore me. It's not like that. It's that like. My job now is actually to sit in the house and observe. That's mm-hmm. actually just what my job is. And yeah. so that's why there's, there's again, I'm not complaining about anything anyone's done. It's just this fucking feeling that I have to sit with. And it's also on me. Like, I, I chose to come out here. I knew that I was going to be playing a standby. I mm-hmm. think the difference is, like, the way we've had to rehearse this, the way we've had to sort of, like, work around the pandemic has made it such that like I got to live with this cast and I got to live with one of these roles in a way that I just never should have. Or you, yeah, you wouldn't, it's like they extended the most difficult part of the process. Exactly. They pushed it back and pushed it back because they had to, because the pandemic. And as a result, I ended up just like living with this character that I was learning my secondary track and I was bonding with the cast, you know, the, this this group of nine people. Again, like I said, we because we weren't really in communication with any of the returning playing cast because they were all on lockdown. Like they couldn't come right. into the theater. And so we became a little company and it just all changed so quickly and so abruptly and on my birthday. <laughs> 
And I'm just so scared that people are going to hear this and be like, oh, I guess we need to act differently around Jordan. But like, again, it's my podcast. So I guess that's good for now. So let's let's call that check in. Wow, what a what an interesting way to do the show. I don't think I'll ever do this ever again. <laughs> it's much easier when you pick topics that you can then dissect and like I can work through all my personal shit when I'm talking about like the latest fucking Anne Hathaway movie or whatever. I don't not that it, that would happen, but like um, you know, like it's much easier when I can uh, uh, channel my feelings and something else. It's, it's much harder to sit here and fucking talk about how I'm feeling. I'll probably cut all of this. So, um, anyway, so it's time for a stupid quiz. Randy, Give are it you to ready? Me. You're ready. I'm ready. Okay. So in the theme of this week's pop culture moment, which is Q force, it's all about secret intelligence agencies. I figured, okay, well, what are some intelligence agencies that we know of? And what are some this... fake ones? You're going to hate me for this one. You're not going to like it. Oh, them. yeah. I'm not going to know any yeah, of these. I know. Um, so, but trust, I made this I made this really easy for you. So. Don't say that before I say it. Call me Jordan. <laughs> so, you have to tell me which of these is a real agency in which you'll say. Agency. Which <laughs> of them is a fake agency, in which case you will say. Fagency. Agency. Okay. And which one I've made up, in which case you will say agency. Wait, so you're not making up the agencies? Fake agencies are, are ones like that are from TV shit. shows and movies. Okay, got it. Agency, agency, agency. Yeah. Are you ready? I'm going to do my best. <laughs> you'll kill this. You'll kill this. You'll kill this. Some of these have like uh, uh, abbreviations and stuff. I will tell you what the abbreviation is. Okay. Okay. You'll yep. also, you'll look, you're going to be able to tell which ones are the agencies. Okay. You'll, I hope so. You'll be able to tell. Okay. Ready? Mm hmm. Queer. We go. CCCPC, the Central Committee of the Chinese Communist Party. Agency. Correct. CTU, the Counterterrorism Unit. Uh, agency. Well done. M-N-E-K. <laughs> yes. I love her. I know. <laughs> agency. There you go. Uh, M-I-5. Uh, agency. That is actually real. Really? I know. Uh, I thought it was just James Bond. No. Is that James Bond? N- no. Oh. I looked up James Bond. I don't know what that one is. It's something else. But no, MI5 is real. MI6. Is a agency. Also real. Also real. Oh. I know. What does it stand for? You said you were going to tell me the Girl, stop it. Stop it. <laughs> stop. Don't do that to me on my own show. Okay? Don't do that to me. Don't uh, say you're going to do something. Don't do, it. do that to me on my own show. Okay? You know the entire audience is doing it, right? I hate you all. <laughs> this is serious. <clears throat> B613. Bitch, you have to know this one. What? B613. B613. Oh, oh, Fagency. Yeah, do you know what it's from? Is it from Q-Force? It's from Scandal, bitch. Scandal. Oh my god, Scandal. Your favorite show for like a smooth two years, bitch. (laughs) My favorite show for a smooth two months. (laughs) Because we watched all yes, seven we seasons did. in two months. No, you did. I watched four and then I dropped off. I couldn't do it anymore. 
I was um, just obsessed. I have already forgotten Melly Grant. That's her name. Yeah. I'm so obsessed with yeah. that. Um, uh, P90X. <laughs> well, I mean, that's that's a gay gesture. Yes, it is. Uh, the Departamento della Informazione per la Sicurezza, also known as DIS. Agency? Yes. IMF, the Impossible Mission Force. Fagency. Well done. ODIN, the Organization of Democratic International Networks. Fagency? That is Fagency. I'm not that smart. That is Fagency. That's from a show called Archer. B- I can't pronounce this. Boom. Boom. D- well, it's not a Gagency. <laughs> boom. Disconsleramt. The BND. Agency. Yes, that's Germany. Well done. Beads. The Bureau of Eating Ass for Days, sister. <laughs> That's a gay Yes. Yes. <laughs> this is so stupid. This is so stupid. Uh, Shield, Strategic Hazard Intervention Espionage Logistics Directorate. That's a uh, Fagents. Well done. Do you know what it's from? Shield. Right? Mark. Oh, yeah, the Agents of Shield. Yeah, that show, Marvel. Uh, 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 oh, it's not Shield, the one with uh, what's his name? Who's a cop? I don't know what any of that Dennis, means. Dennis Ferrans or somebody? <laughs> Dennis Franz. Dennis Franz, that's right. Shield. Are you there thinking was one of NYPD just... Blue? No, no, it's not. There was a show that was just called Shield. And it and I feel like it was an anagram. Oh. I feel like it was initials for something. But it was Wait. just like a, a normal cop Wasn't show. Wasn't it with that of, guy, the, 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 the daddy with the bald head, Michael Chiklis? Michael Chiklis, that's who I was thinking. Oh, you're about, right. There France. is a show called The Shield. But I don't. I think that was just code name for a badge. Uh, okay. Anyway, all right. Last one. You'll definitely get this one. Interpol, International Criminal po- Policy or Political Organization or some poli- police agency. Yeah. Well done, bitch. You got every single one. Okay. No, I didn't get. I didn't get my scandal. Oh yeah, that's bad. So I didn't get my scandal. Uh, I've forgotten it. I have the worst memory long term for things I enjoy. What's cool. Uh, well, for your uh, prize, Randy, <gasps> you are getting a acting class with Carrie Washington. Oh my god! <laughs> yes, she's going to teach you how to lip quiver. She's going to teach you how to drink giant glasses of wine. Oh, I know that lesson. She's going to teach you how to sleep with someone playing the president of the United States. I want the like little um, teardrops just sort of dangling at the corners of my eyes for an entire scene and then dropping, <laughs> dropping right when I pop my lips. <laughs> I just I want to learn that chin quiver. I mean, that is how do you master that? That's I also want like an oversized chenille sweater. While I... <laughs> yes, I just, I just want, want to be Carrie. I just want <laughs> I want white power suits and to just walk around Washington D.C. for hours with and just like on the phone talking really aggressively and like having people be like, "Whoa, that bitch is like she's on fire!" And like clearly, I'm not talking to anyone. It's just I want Guillermo Diaz to show up. Oh, God, he's so sexy. At any point of his existence during the past, like, 20 years of, 30 years of being a dreamboat. And he's gone, he's gone through so many different looks and styles. Every kind of hot guy. They're all sexy. I can't. Love him. Love him. Love him.
pop culture moment this week, which is the new animated series from Gabe Liedman called Q-Force on Netflix. So Q-Force is a series about a group of undervalued LGBT super spies centered on a gay secret agent who, much like James Bond, is the center of this uh, sort of like spy ring. Uh, his name is Steve Merriweather, and he is referred to as Agent Mary. Basically, this uh, g- group of spies called the Q-Force has been relegated to West Hollywood. They are not really given any cases. They're kind of ignored. They're kind of overlooked. And it all has to do with the fact that they are a bunch of gays and the American government wants to have nothing to do with them. And they are essentially just like disregarded until Mary and his crew decide to start taking on work for themselves and starts proving their worth to an agency that routinely does not give them any. Um, whole sets of hijinks happen. We'll get into some of it. Um, before we do start talking about Q-Force, I do want to put a disclaimer out there. Gabe Liedemann and I are friends. I went to college with Gabe. We're not like super tight, but like Gabe and I know each other. Uh, I, partly why I wanted to do this is because it's just, I just want to big up my friend. Gabe is also the creator of Pen15 or one of the co-creators so of Pen15. And he's, he was also a writer on Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Gabe's been killing it in Hollywood for the past few years. I'm so, so proud of him. Randy, what are your thoughts on Q-Force? I, I really, really enjoy it. I Beyond Q-Force, though, we need to, I, and we've discussed it a little bit. I have a, I'm not like an animation person. Um, oh, we've talked I, about that. Did I know that? We probably have, but I, you know, I'm high a lot. So <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 you know what? I always really enjoy like, I, like a good animation, like, um, big mouth and yeah. I mean, self, I mean, everything I enjoy them, but I, I, I'm differently engaged. Like I watch them differently. They're more like filler television for me, even the best of them, mm-hmm. which I know they're not like, I'm aware of how brilliant many of them are. Mm-hmm. It's just, I think I I like need a human face a lot of the time to be compelled in a different way. Mm-hmm. But um I love Q Force. I think it's hilarious. I mean, I couldn't think of like a combination of voices I would most like want to be listening to <laughs> between uh Laurie Metcalf, who is a uh, yeah, very sh- happy sh- should should I should I go through the voice cast real quick? <laughs> yeah, go I mean go through them because it's gonna I'm gonna stall in all the names. But, um... <laughs> so so we have Steve Merriweather who plays Agent Mary, that's uh voiced by Sean Hayes. Uh, Dirk Chunley, voiced by Gary Cole. Agent Rick Buck, voiced by David Harbour, uh, who plays the straight agent, who essentially is the liaison between Q-Force and AIA. Stat, uh, who's kind of the tech nerd, is voiced by Patty Harrison. V, who's kind of the head of this small group, that's voiced by Laurie Metcalf. Twink, who is kind of the master of disguise of the group, uh, voiced by Matt Rogers. and Drag Deb, queen. Drag queen, Yes. Mm-hmm. And Deb, who is voiced by Wanda Sykes, she's kind of the heavy of the group. She's the she's like the Ving Rames of the Mission Impossible. She she basically <laughs> she knows all the tech, she knows all the uh, machinery, but then she also brings in the muscle and she can she can do a lot of shit. And then also Ben uh, Gabe Liebman is actually one of the characters. He plays Benji, who is the love interest to right. Uh, yeah, who's the love interest to Mary, and he does such a good job. I just fucking think Gabe is so fucking good and. He's just killing it. I'm so proud. I'm excited to keep watching it. I mean, I 
love, I mean, Pen15 is one of my favorite shows that came out the past couple of years. Yeah. So, yeah. And I think Sean Hayes is great. I, I, I think everybody's great. I, the episode that I've seen that like kind of blew my mind in the happiest, most absurd way was the, um, like the Eurovision. Oh my God. Eurovision one. Oh my God. <laughs> when, when Twink has to sing an H sharp. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that like sets up all this shit. Yeah. What are your thoughts? I love the show. And again, I am totally biased because of Gabe. But I uh, I just think, and like you, Pen15 is one of my favorite new shows of the last few years, maybe ever. It's just so smartly crafted, so smartly designed. And, the, the, and, then, and then the fucking performances are... The fact that they have not won like every award every for award. acting is... Every is, award. They could so easily just like veer into like making fun of these uh teenage characters and instead mm-hmm. they take them really seriously and play them sincerely. But anyway, back to Q Force. What I love about the show is often I feel like when you're watching queer content, I'm thinking like Will and Grace and thinking Ellen, a lot of it feels catered towards straight people. And a lot of it feels I shouldn't say catered towards straight people. A lot of it feels like we are making this accessible to straight people. Like oh yeah. We are making we're going to make references, but like we'll make them clear enough that like if you don't really get it, you'll kind of get at least that it's a thing for us. What I love about we'll explain it after we make it. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. What I loved about this show is that it's just like, yeah, we made this show for the gays and y'all can watch if you want, but we're we're going to do this for the gays. And on top of that, mm-hmm. gay sexuality a variety of body types are explored. Animated peen. I'm animated always happy peen. to see full So much animated peen. Animated sex. Like straight up animated sex. What I love that they do in the series is they over-sexualize and exploit the straight man in the similar way that like on the equivalent type of series, like in a straight world, the woman would be over-sexualized or the woman would be, it's all about her body and she would have to have her tits out. Or the gay guy, like the twink character on any other show would be the butt of the joke every time. And it would always be about like how fey twink is and how incompetent twink is. And what's amazing about this show is that twink is like crazy qualified. Twink is really fucking good at his job as twink. What's I don't know what twinks pronouns are. Neither do I. I don't think anyone uses they, them pronouns on the show, but because they made like a joke in one of the later episodes I saw where they were talking about like, GlaxoSmithKline uses they, them pronouns now. <laughs> like corporations are starting to, in, in order to like prove that they're like down with gays and gay culture, GlaxoSmithKline is now using they, them pronouns or something. <laughs> and I just love that the show just has this like wink at us all the time that is, and, and by us, I mean gay people, like this wink at us that's like, girl, we got you. That's what it, mm-hmm. the show feels like for me. And I just love kind of being on the inside of it for once. Like I love, I love getting to see a show where the straight man is played by a gay guy. You know, the Sean Hayes character is our lead is this strapping, hot, qualified gay guy with like a active sex life who gets the guy often. Right. It also seems more true to like how gay people tend to be like the overcompensating gay man is not an idiot. He's better than everybody at everything because he's gay and he had to be. Exactly. Exactly. Like the fact that he was like the valedictorian and then got like a shitty job. Yes. You know, yes. He came out. Yes, 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 exactly. And like, 
He's overly qualified. Twink's overly qualified. Deb's overly qualified. They're all the best at what they do. And yet they're not given any sort of value or credence because they're gay. Simply because Mm -hmm. of that. And the show takes their perspective and the show sits with them. The show points out in overt and, and subtle ways, like the absolute absurdity of the fact that these people have not been able to do the jobs that they're so good at. And it's solely because they're gay. There's a whole subplot that happens later in the series where that's all about like erasing the minds of queer people, queer agents. The show really explores what it means, what gay erasure is. The show really explores what it means to have to work 10 times as hard for half as much or for a 10th as much. You know, what I what I was shocked about with the show, actually, is that, like, I thought it was going to be kind of like a big mouth and that it was going to be, like, uh, a joke every three seconds. And it's not. It's actually, like, focused on building the relationship between Mary and Benji. And it's actually focused on understanding who all these people are. Now, obviously, you have, like, a joke every once in a while. Twink's very flamboyant and fey. And so Twink is kind of the Jack McFarland character of the series. But the difference between like Jack McFarland and Twink is that like Twink is very, very, very good at his job. And right. so, and Twink's whole thing is impersonation and like usually just women, right? Like Twink can impersonate anyone and do it expertly. And so I don't know. It was just like, I feel like the little gay boy inside me was just so happy to see this world. And I was really happy to see them not shy away from like sexuality. And like, it feels like the type of spy show that straight people would get. It's just for us now. I have something I'd like to talk about, about this show, which is the idea of like stereotype. And I think it's because, cause they, they use stereotypes for comedy in the show a lot, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't, give a bad feeling to me. And I feel like it has to do with the fact that gay people are making it for gay people. So there's like a knowingness Mm. about it. Like, um, but I'm interested in how sometimes the use of stereotype can work or be funny and not feel minimizing or cheap or uh, lazy and how sometimes it obviously is. And what distinguishes that like for an audience and for like a piece of art? Because I I think this should be our deep dive. So let's just make this uh, our, I I think this is a great segue into like a much larger topic. So right. What, what are, what are your thoughts on the way stereotypes? I don't know. I mean, I'm just literally thinking out loud when I'm thinking about it, but I think, I think it has to do with, the thing that you said about it being directed towards gay people and it's clearly by gay people and voiced by gay people. Mm-hmm. Um, so it changes the tone a little bit as a gay audience. You're not, you don't immediately dismiss, Oh, this is like lazy. Like the lesbian has a Subaru. It's like, mm-hmm. no, it's like, it's a, it's a stereotype. That's a stereotype because we all know like it's kind of true. And there is something funny about it mm-hmm. that like when you're with a gay person, they can make that joke and it's funny. But if a fucking straight person makes that joke, you're like, fuck you. Well, I think you know what I mean? I think it's also, it, yes, I know exactly what you mean. I think it's also about like who your intended audience is. Because yes. I would say like stereotypes were used for will and grace in a way that like I didn't always feel comfortable with. And mm-hmm. I think that's a lot to do with the fact that, you know, that was a show that was on NBC. It had to appeal to a mass audience and basically mass audience is code for straight. Right. So right. it had to be insidery enough that like gay people would 
get it and like it and not be offended by it, but like had to be outsidery enough that straight people could laugh at it. And that's, that's the weird line, right? It's like when you're doing something like that and you put a stereotype out there, who are you inviting to laugh at it? And how are you inviting them to laugh at it? Exactly. I think that's the, that's the whole thing about Q force, right? Is like, there are so many jokes in it that I feel like if you are not a gay person or not somehow in the orbit of like queerness or whatever, you are not going to get the joke and you're not going to think it's funny. And I'm fine with that. And I I think that that is one of the luxuries of being like 20 years, you know, uh, uh, one of the luxuries of being where we are now with the marketplace being as fractured as it is, you know, like we still have obviously the NBC, CBS, ABC, Fox, all that shit, but there's so many more platforms and not just on television. Now there's so many streaming platforms and then there's the internet. There's just like, you can really make a niche show for a niche audience and have it be successful in a way that you couldn't 20 years ago, which I actually think, and I, don't mean to bring up your show, but I actually think Queer as Folk was one of the first, if not the first, like gay show to actually make a niche show for a niche audience. And it right. certainly had like crossover appeal. There were certainly like a lot of straight people watched it, especially straight women. And the advantage of that show was that it wasn't on NBC or ABC. It was on Showtime, right? So it was, yeah. it, it was on that generation's version of Netflix. What we're going through now with this fractured marketplace where you really can make uh, content for everyone. Q-Force follows, I would say, the mold of Queer as Folk more than it does, like, Will and Grace. But as far as, like, the stereotyping goes, I mean, that's a really interesting thing to think about. I mean, I'm thinking about it more, and I I think if the stereotype comes out of, well, A, it's not the only information you're getting about these characters. Like, it's not like the only thing is a lesbian joke about Wanda Sykes' character. You know, like, Uh the character is well-rounded, and you're getting a bunch of like depth like you said the show isn't just jokey i mean there there's depth and development to all the characters mm-hmm. and their backgrounds and their relationships so that makes it like in the stereotypes coming and it's not the only information you're getting it's like out of a well-rounded character Absolutely. it's coming from a place of actual like true knowledge and true love in a way yeah. um and res- and respect but I, it's it's hard to say exactly what makes it feel different or like if somebody who isn't gay would understand the difference between the two. And I think actually that's like the really fine line that the show is writing. So like, for example, our lead character is named agent Merriweather and everyone calls him agent Mary, which like, as you, as everyone knows, calling someone a Mary is like a a derogatory way of calling them gay. And so if that character had just been called agent Mary and especially like, in other projects where he would be like a side character. And so if we would just like constantly refer to this agent as agent Mary, that's like an example of like a negative stereotype where it's like, you're just harping in on the fact that this is a gay character. You're making that quality, the central trait of who this character is. And Mm -hmm. that only works when you're able to fill out the world of that character. So the reason why like we laugh at agent Mary is because like, well, they all call him agent Mary, but like he is, he, he is and isn't a Mary. He Mm -hmm. is a Mary in that. Yeah. He's gay and he's openly and proudly gay, but he isn't a Mary in that he's, he's not some weakling that you can like toss off to the side and disregard. They try to, and he ends up showing that he's more than that. Mm -hmm. And so it's a weird way of like, 
acknowledging the stereotype, like calling someone a Mary, but also like giving power to the stereotype and being like, it's, it's, it's the same thing with Twink. Like they Twink's at his most powerful when he's dressed as a woman and when he's in drag, Twink is his most talented when he's in drag. And the reason why that works is because we fill out the character with more things going on. When a straight guy is playing a gay part and a gay guy is playing a gay part. Mm-hmm. When the straight guy is playing a gay role, it's the straight person's duty to be respectful to the part. So, for example, the production of Oklahoma I did a, few, a couple years ago where it was like we were all same sex. There were some straight actors playing gay roles and there were some gay actors playing gay roles. And I often felt like the pressure for the straight actor is don't come up here and do stereotype. Don't come up here and be overly simplistic. Like bring real gravitas, respect the role, be, be, bring dignity and respect the role. As a gay guy, I could go into that role and blow it up and do mm-hmm. whatever the fuck I wanted with that role. Because like, yeah. tell me I'm, I'm being offensive. Tell me, cause I'm a gay guy. If you're a straight guy, you got to be respectful. And I feel like that's kind of the difference. It feels like that's what we're talking about right now, which is like, because Gabe is a queer person, Gabe is in a queer world. Gabe's able to like blow up the world of stereotype in that, mm-hmm. like, and I, I challenge, I defy anyone to go up to Gabe and be like, well, that's offensive because Gabe would be like, well, bitch, I'm gay. Like that's, that's my fucking world. As opposed to like a straight guy writing this shit where it's like, dude, that's offensive. And the straight guy being like, well, I tried my best. You know what I mean? Uh, not, yeah. that, not that a straight guy would write Q-Force. I don't think a straight guy could write Q-Force. But like, I think that's the sort of different mentality, at least that I put into it when I'm thinking about stereotypes and the way I play stereotypes. It's like anytime a, a black stereotype enters the equation and it's like, if I want to make a choice as this black character, that's on me because I'm black and I can do whatever I want. But if you, white director or white writer, like, can you do it like that? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's like, oh, you want me to play into your idea of blackness. You want me to play into your idea of gayness. And that's where the trouble with stereotype comes into play because your yeah. entire idea of gayness is built around this stereotype and actually doesn't have a deeper knowledge. Whereas Gabe's knowledge of this world and uh, knowledge of these characters extends beyond the stereotype so that you can then mm-hmm. reintroduce the stereotype. You can bring the stereotype back in so that you can have a good chuckle at it while also understanding that there is greater depth and that there is a, a just a, a, a larger spectrum of experience that each of these characters is bringing to the world but it is a fine line did you it's did a you, fine line did you have any, I love it did you have any trouble with the show in that regard no because i because it always felt right to me and funny and like friends making fun of friends in mm-hmm. a way where like i love you but girl that's what you do and i mean i was just thinking in a way it's it's more empowering to like embrace and acknowledge to some extent, cliche, and then expand upon it. Because I was thinking of sort of the evolution of gay portrayal. And, you know, it started out as like, par- like straight parodies of like femme men being funny in a really offensive way for straight people. And then it was like, we need to make gay- like redeem gay people. And then it was like, gay people had to be just like straight people. Right. And then and then when we never saw ourselves in those characters, either, right. you know, and it was right. like, oh, and this is kind of a yeah, it's like he's a big like flaming homo and he's also the valedictorian and a brilliant spy. Like you you can be both because mm-hmm. you know, and that's empowering because I think 
you know, watching one, I was like, yeah, I'm aware that straight people see me as the stereotype because I talk a certain way and move my hands a certain way and mm-hmm. like suck and dick or whatever. <laughs> and then, and then it's like, but, but that's not it. Like it's not, I'm not a joke. And then you see like the straight version of gay people and you're like, I'm not that either. Like right. I'm not going to be that. And then you try to be that. And it's almost as bad as being trying to be in the closet when you try right. to be like, I'm gay, but I'm just like you. Right. And this is kind of like, there's nothing to apologize for. Like I can be as ridiculous as I am and as brilliant as I am. And those two things are contained and, and you have to, you know, like you said, like be a gay guy playing a gay role in order to not have fear or like perform the, the more cliche or stereotypical elements of our behavior or whatever. It's hard to t- even talk about it without minimizing it or. No, I get it. And understand that you can be that and be everything else at the same time. Well, I think so much of that has to do with like the respectability politics that gay people have played over the last. Okay, let's just look at it within the last decade or so. So much of that was predicated around marriage equality, right? Mm -hmm. It was about proving we're just like you and we deserve the same rights as you. And I was always down for the fight because there's no reason why straight people should have certain rights that we don't. I mean, it's ludicrous. It's absolutely ludicrous. But my whole thing with it is actually like, well, it shouldn't be about we're just like you and we deserve the same things as you. It should be, we're fucking people too. And there should not be discrimination against us. And I feel like the only unfortunate thing about the fight for marriage equality is that it made it seem like what we needed to feel equality was to get marriage equality. And actually what we need is for people to leave us the fuck alone and stop and like trying what to- we need to be equal is to be in a monogamous, stable, married relationship. Exactly. Exactly. Which, like, which we are yeah. both defying. <laughs> <laughs> both defying very intensely, which we will also have an episode about at some point in the future. But like, it's a thing I find all the time when I'm explaining my my the way I live my life, my polyamory to even to straight people. You mean even to gay people? That's what I meant. Even to gay people, sorry. <laughs> even to gay people, where like, you know, I, I had someone because I explained that I was polyamorous and someone I had a friend say to me, like, oh yeah, I had my phase too. Oh God. Yeah. And like I was just like, no, 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 you don't understand. Like, I'm not waiting for monogamy. I'm not waiting for marriage. This is my life. This is this is the way I'm choosing to live my life. I've also had people like essentially say things to me like, oh, I could never do that. And I'm just like, you're only saying you could never do that because the gold standard for you is this idea of monogamy and marriage, which is something that was like forced upon us. That's not necessarily just like how we're supposed to be. Like, that's I'm getting too deep. I'm getting too deep and, <laughs> and we're, we're going to get off, off topic. But like th- what I'm taking from this mm-hmm. is it feels to me like, what we're kind of balking at right now are the respectability politics that we had to engage in for the last like 10, 15 years, 20 years, Uh because so many people thought the fight was over when we got marriage equality. And it's actually like, no, the point is that like, we shouldn't have to follow any sort of forms. We should just be (laughs) able to be ourselves. And yes, stereotypes exist. I had, I just had a joke with a friend the other day where someone was saying like, Oh, I, I miss like a black barbecue or something like that. Or no, I did, I like did the electric slide in rehearsal and my black castmate came up to me and was like, God, I really miss barbecues or I miss family reunions. And I was like, because every black person knows you do the electric slide at a black family reunion, <laughs> right? Like every black person knows at some point someone's going to play uh, uh, 
Jesus, what's the song? I listened to a podcast about this song and I can't remember. Uh, uh, Oh my God. What is the song? Beyonce did a cover of it. No, I'm going to find it. Before I let go. Before I let go. Before I let go. Oh man. I would have lost my black card if you found that before. Maisie and Maze and Frankie Beverly. Yes. That, that is like a staple of black barbecues of black, anything you hear before I let go. And you get up on the floor and you do the electric slide or you do whatever when before I let go plays. And like, yes, that's a stereotype. But if like, if I was watching Friends and they went to a wedding and then all of a sudden a bunch of black people started doing (laughs) the electric slide, I'd be like, that's a little offensive. But if I'm watching like a black thing and it's like, we're knowingly doing that, like, oh yeah, that's our shit. Wait, what if you were watching Friends (laughs) and they were getting married and they started playing Before I Let Go and all the white people started doing the electric slide? (laughs) I would turn off my television and burn it. I would burn it. I would burn the TV. Because that would clearly be the sign of the apocalypse. There's no coming back from that. Like, what are they, who are they trying to communicate? What is, <laughs> what is this? Are they making fun of me? Are they like, is this like a dog whistle being like, this show is really written by black people? And we're like... <laughs> and if at like the wedding, they just had like all soul food. It was just all... <laughs> Never mentioned. And it. if like Rachel was just wearing kente cloth and they were all... <laughs> But no black people are around. No and no explanation. No explanation. No mention. <laughs> and just a single episode of Friends. <laughs> just completely out of context. Like they never really reference it again. They never talk. And it's not, it's not quote unquote rude or disrespectful. It's it's done very respectably, but it's just like, what the fuck is going Maybe on? Maybe like here? six seasons later, like Rachel's in her closet and you see a Kento cloth <laughs> dress like hanging up in the background. <laughs> And you're like, fuck, I remember that weird episode. Like, what the fuck? Oh, my God. I We maybe need to write that episode. <laughs> <laughs> I think we should write that episode. Well, anyway, uh, thank you, Randy, for a uh, thorough and robust conversation. I think we solved stereotypes. I think we solved Q Force. I think we solved uh, it. I think, you know, I know we veered away from what our original deep dive was going to be, which was like the un- the idea of being unseen, but I I think I handled that in my <laughs> check-in. So um yeah, I, I think yeah. We're, we're pretty solid there. So yeah. Q Force is a uh, a holistic and comedic take on faggotry that includes the full spectrum of our our ridiculousness and brilliance. That is the best review that you could give anything. Like, I, if I, what did you, uh, 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 what did you say? I said, it, I think I said a holistic and comedic take on our faggotry. I don't remember what I said. I was pulling it out of my ass. I, the next time I do my one man show, I need you to write, or if I write a book or something like that, I want you to write the Oh, I'm going to be the blurb. Yes. <laughs> you need to be the blurb. Uh, uh, a holistic and comedic take. Take on faggotry. By holistic, I mean (laughs) H-O-L-E. Oh my God. I love it so much. I love it so much. Holistic. Um, Okay, well, that brings us to our final segment of the week, our... Oh, we're Latin. We're Latin today, are we? <laughs> did I trill? Yes, you did, bitch. Can square, did I lisp it, though? Was I Catiana? <laughs> oh, my God. 
at this point of the program, we take we like to take a look at what's going on in the world and offer our own take as to why it's happening. The truth is here. The truth is queer, and that bitch is in the back of the auditorium, girl. Randolph, I mean, mine's a little deeper and more complex, and it's not quite go something on, I've been girl, thinking. Okay, because I don't really have one. So go ahead. So, so you need time to generate mine because mine's also not comic, and it's not really. I'm not sure if it's conspiracy, but. When Broadway sort of came back, which, you know, they pitched that they were coming back, what, like two weeks ago, three weeks ago, something around then, I saw like a bunch of... Do you mean the whole like Broadway's back concert that was the Tonys? Maybe that was it. I didn't watch it. Fair. <laughs> but I saw glimpses of it. And I somebody saying what I did for love, or whatever. I just thought of the song, What I Did for Love. And then I thought of this, like the whole mythology around basically being an artist, Mm -hmm. but especially being a theater artist. Mm -hmm. And today I was listening to The Daily, and it was talking, actually, this is completely different, but it was talking about childcare workers. And, you know, they're completely underpaid. And it was talking about how, you know, they had to work 30 hours at Starbucks. This woman had to work 30 hours at Starbucks in order to make enough on top of working full-time, you know, in a daycare. And she was like, but it's my passion to work with, I mean, people want to work with children. They love children and Mm -hmm. it's valuable, important. And she was like, you know, I spend half my time molding, you know, the next generation of human beings and I get paid a quarter of what I get paid to serve people a coffee. Wow. And I just got, this isn't a conspiracy. So I think I'm going to need like you and people to clarify it for me. But this idea of like doing, and, and they said, you know, Everybody who had talked to, they talked to in childcare was kept on saying, it's my passion, it's my passion. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's what actors say too. It's mm-hmm. like, you do it because you love it. You give up everything because you love it. Um, you make all these sacrifices because that's what you have to do if you love it. Mm-hmm. And I just think it's all bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and they were saying, so ultimately these people's passion is subsidizing this entire industry. Like the fact that they actually love what they're doing means they'll do it for a non-living wage or nothing. Got you. And I just think that narrative, A, I think it's like bullshit that's created in order to mind numb workers into being mistreated and underpaid. And, uh, but I'm, I'm curious as to like why it's specific industries, why it happens in certain specific industries. You mean the idea of being passionate about something? Yeah, it kind of seems like, but but it's not for I want to make like a massive generalization. Like if you're actually doing something that's a valuable for human like value to humanity, you're gonna get underpaid for it. Because but that's not true. I mean, like doctors make good I mean, you end up overworking, but like you make good money. So like why is it that there's certain industries, often industries that have like a fundamental benefit to society? I mean, in the case of childcare and teaching, yeah. to me, like maybe the most. Yeah where the love and commitment to it is used as a way to allow the, the people working in that industry to be completely exploited. Yeah, it's a way to justify mistreatment. Yeah, because I think about that in theater at all. And I think like the whole what I did for love mm. is bullshit. I mean, yeah, but we all should be doing what we love. And yeah, we're lucky we get to do what we love, but that doesn't mean we should be underpaid for it mm-hmm. because I love it more than something else. Mm-hmm. It's just as hard work. So I, I, I think it's like, obviously, the theater industry and the theater companies and producers intentionally take advantage of that. Right. And that mythology. Is it maybe that like, because there's this narrative around like, 
let's say you get into finance or you get into stock. Like, I don't think you're going to hear anyone talk about like their passion for stock, being a stockbroker or for hedge funds. But a lot of people do love it. I I know. I know. They feel bad about loving it or something. I don't know. I think this is going to be like the arc of the series of Queer Anon with Mr. Sister, which is like, how do, what this is, I feel like you've just planted the seed of what is the biggest conspiracy of all time, which is why are there certain professions and why are there certain people who just have to accept that their passion is enough payment for what they like to do. And there are other professions where your passion is kind of secondary to the fact that you're going to make millions of dollars doing this thing. And I just don't understand it. Yeah. And it makes me really, really angry. And I mean, obviously, I've been going through it a lot because I'm in the midst of a career change and like mm-hmm. acting less and starting to do something else more. And it's truly not because I love acting less. It's that I love myself more. Mm-hmm. And I'm starting to be like, I deserve and am capable of building a retirement. I'm capable of having holidays off. I'm capable of, you know, planning six. I should be have a life where I can take a vacation or plan something or save something or have health insurance consistently. And that's not something my industry is ever going to offer me. I don't anyway. know. Uh, okay. Well, my conspiracy, which I know I, I, it sounds like I just made this up, but I actually realized that I made this conspiracy up like weeks ago and I just never talked about it. So now I'm remembering it. Tell me. And it's, it's not a conspiracy like at all. I'm, I'm fairly certain that this is just the model that they're abiding by, but like, you know how, like this is already like a record year for black shows that are on Broadway. Mm -hmm. There's already like seven black plays this year that are, that are Passover is just about to close. They're kind of putting in all these, a lot of them are new plays. They're not really revivals. They're brand new plays. And it's exciting. Mm-hmm. However, my fear is... By the time you go back to New York, no more back plays. No. <laughs> <laughs> you fucking bitch. No. <laughs> I didn't even think about that. But actually, now that you say that, that is a big fear of mine. I'm like, oh, fuck. I missed the whole black wave. That came I missed the Br- three months where black people are going to be allowed to be on Broadway. <laughs> That's yes. So that I guess that's half of it. But the other half of it is like, oh, so already this year is going to be a difficult year for Broadway. Already. Just the economics of it. Broadway's already just an economically difficult beast. But mm-hmm. because we're trying to lure people back to New York, we've got this uh COVID shit. We've got and we're we're going into the winter season, which is already like a famously terrible time for Broadway and for theater in general. And part of me's like, are they just throwing all these black shows out there right now so that if they fail, if they don't make the money that they wanted to make and a year from now when they're doing the music man or when they're doing whatever white plays they're doing, they can look back and be like, but we did it. We did, we did the black, all that stuff that you were, that you theater artists were complaining about uh, after George Floyd and all the, we see you American theater and white American theater and all, all that stuff that you were complaining about lack of representation. We gave you a shot. We did it last year. When the world opened up again, your plays were the first ones we put back on Broadway and they didn't sell. So we're going to go back to doing other desert, other desert cities and any uh, play. Here's hoping. Here's hoping. <laughs> we're going to go back to just doing more plays about like a white woman on a couch trying to deal with uh, a crumbling marriage or, uh, you know, and part of me you know like, that's what's gonna happen. i know that's why it's like not a conspiracy it's not a conspiracy <laughs> it's just like oh yeah this is this i feel like i'm witnessing it with the the unfortunate closing of passover because they're replacing passover with slave play 
And it's like, they're just, they're going to, they're going to churn them out. And um, hopefully, I hope I'm wrong. I hope what we're seeing is just the next wave of theater artists coming through. You know, Douglas Lyons has a new play called Chicken and Biscuits that's about to open on Broadway at Circle in the Square. It just opened at Circle in the Square. There's, you know, it's an exciting time to see all these Black plays. I'm just worried they're kind of setting us up for failure because already a Black show on Broadway is already just a hard sell. But like right now, when like we're not even getting people to come back to the theater because of the pandemic and just because we're trying to get that motor rolling again like you're putting a lot of black plays with no stars on and which again in any other year i would be like how exciting this is that like a black play with like no major stars is getting to premiere on broadway how exciting but this year i'm like it makes me a little worried because they're going to be able to point to this as the gold standard for why they're not going to produce more black shit but i hope i'm wrong i hope you're wrong too yeah I know it's not going to continue, but I'm excited by like the model of a, a lot of new plays, a lot of black plays Mm -hmm. and shorter, like Broadway going back to like what it was when, you know, if something played for three months, it was a hit, like theaters coming and going and like a bunch of new plays being on Broadway. I know it, it doesn't economically work and it's not going to last, but like even the, the show that's, you know, sharing the theater between, um, is this a room and another play, both of which I really, really want to see like these two small new plays that everybody I know who's seen them are like, they're brilliant and they're fl- like flip flipping off weeks or something. Are they done? Oh, so they're done in rap. <clears throat> yeah. They're done in rap, but oh. it's two different companies that produced them and it's in a Broadway theater. Oh, it's two different um, casts. Yeah. It's two different casts. Like Becca Blackwell's in one and one is just a one woman show, I think. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh-huh. I but realize. I would like, this would be so exciting if this is what Broadway turned into yeah. for the, mo- I mean, you know, with like, you know, the f- five forever running musicals or like, a, yeah, I know it's, I mean, if, if Broadway be, if Broadway kind of adopted the model of a rep company, like an Oregon Shakespeare festival or something more so that actually like there was just like a lot of plays and rather than us all just like biting each other and stabbing each other in the back and fighting for these little parts, there's actually just like, Oh, here's a wealth of work. I realize that that's overly idealistic, but like, I know. It would make it's it would make it Broadway feel like a community more, right? Which I is know. the whole thing about the Tonys and trying to get people to come back to Broadway is that like we are a community. That's what they're always saying, but it just often feels like no, it's like a it feels a like tiny, the cool kids club. at the table and like where everyone else is just maybe allowed a seat one semester, but like you, you can't stay here all year. You can't sit with us. I'm rapidly getting on twenty years since I appeared on Broadway. So, all right, well, you're out in the you're out in the fields. You're I'm way out. <laughs> well, girl, I'm I'm in the hallway looking back into the cafeteria. If that's any consolation. The well, way to end it with a dear Evan Hansen ref, um, which I have not. Have you seen the movie? God, no. <laughs> with like a a 46 year old Ben Platt playing. 17 year old kid. Um, yeah. Anyway, I, I sort of like evilly read some of the bad reviews of it and then i felt dirty and felt stopped yeah yeah Yeah. um yeah i don't want to yeah it's unfortunate that it's not doing well because people love the musical i don't know i've never seen the show i don't i don't really know anything i haven't i mean you know i liked the songs a little bit back in the day when they first came out i was like oh i just know waving through the window i think that's literally the only song in the show that i know and I love it. And I, I only know it because I was teaching a master class at Oregon Shakespeare Festival. And one of my students 
sang that song and he sang it down. He sang the shit out of that song. And I was like, what the fuck is this? I mean, you have to be able, there's no choice. You can either sing the fuck out of that song or you 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 need to get out. Yeah. Or you fail. Yeah. Um, no, I liked it. I liked it. Um, okay, Randy. Well, uh, thank you for another wonderful episode. Fantastic. No, holistic. Don't get me wrong. It's holistic. It's a great, this has been a great episode. It's just like, it's not the usual, like, fun jubilant time like i is it it usually a fuck you bitch isn't it (laughs) (laughs) only if someone else is on (laughs) if it's just the two of us it's just a morose sad we go dark we We go dark we do we do um well anyway thank you for going dark with me randy as you always do and you know for being my therapist and my friend and you know the life partner we could all hope for in in life and um you know i hope things are great out there in seattle and i miss you all the time i miss you too bro. and uh okay well that's it kids thanks for another uh week of queer Night with mr sister we will see you soon Bye-bye. bye children bye